Why don't we just pause, just invite God to be with us. And um, as we uh, look at uh, this uh, next instalment in our series, uh, we want to be open to what God might be saying and, and leading us in. So, Spirit of God, we ask you to come, to rest on us. Speak to us. We are open and willing and ready to hear your voice. Amen. Uh, Robert Waldinger is a Harvard professor and the director of the longest ever study into adult life. It started in 1936 and now today has spanned over 80 years of research specifically looking into what makes humans happy. And the study involves uh, interviewing various people at regular intervals throughout their lives. And this uh, was one of their main findings that should come up on the screen here. When we gathered together everything we knew about them at age 50, it wasn't their middle-aged cholesterol levels that predicted how they were going to grow old. It was how satisfied they were in their relationships. The people who are most satisfied in their relationships at age 50 were the healthiest aged 80. You know, intimate, healthy, and satisfying relationships are built into the fabric of humanity. It's what we were designed for. This is 21st century science proving ancient biblical wisdom. You see, for we were created to walk in the garden with God and with each other. You know, you and I, we've been designed for purposeful and fruitful relationship, for productive work, to play our part in the ecosystem of God's good creation together. And it's also not surprising that this is exactly what we see in the life of Jesus. You see, Jesus didn't spend his ministry here on earth building a campaign to overthrow an oppressive government. He didn't try to solve major societal problems of the day. And he didn't travel far and wide to try and spread his message to as many people as he could. Although he could have done those things. Rather... What he chose to do was to slowly walk through a few areas in northern Israel, being present with people and investing in his relationships in his life. You see, it was for relationship that we were made and it is in relationship that we find freedom to become who we are truly created to be, who you were always meant to be. Jesus says this, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This Greek phrase translated one another occurs a hundred times in the New Testament. As a slide here with just a few of the examples. Be devoted, honor, build up, challenge, bear each other's burdens, care for each other, and so on. These incredible descriptions of what full, flourishing, healthy relationships might start to look like. And um, I don't know about you, but on my best days, I have great intentions to love like this. 
I have like unbelievable intentions to be a person of love, and, uh, but then I have to interact with other people. You know, it kind of all falls apart, like I get frustrated, get offended, become easily defensive, I'm concerned with what other people are thinking about me even in this moment, like I get blinded by my pride and my hurt and my felt rejection, and that was just this morning. Like it, it hasn't been that many hours. It was our um, six-year-old's birthday a couple of weeks back, and um, we had got him a, a bunch of those helium balloons that you have to like tie down with a weight to stop them floating away. There's about five of them uh, on there, which, ironically, because you're six, they weren't they weren't numbers. Uh, it made sense to the context. Um, and we were all in the kitchen um, after we'd had his little uh, kind of gathering, and uh, our four-year-old walked in holding a pair of scissors. Um, uh, when he saw us all kind of hanging out in the kitchen, um, he, he very slowly just kind of popped the scissors behind his back. Um, and he said, well, I didn't cut down the balloons. <laughs> uh, and then we walked uh, into the blo- where the balloons were, and lo and behold, uh, they were no longer attached to their weight. You know, like we do things that we regret. We do things that we know are not good. Uh, We do things that uh, we know are not loving and kind or that build others up or care for one another or serve one another. Because the reality is, is that life is messy. Each of us, we are messy. We carry around brokenness within us. And so the question is, when we look at, at descriptions like this and we respond to the call of Jesus to love one another, like how do we overcome the mess? How do we overcome some of life's mess to grow and become more and more like Jesus in ourselves and in our community as we relate to one another? How do we become people of love in a community reflecting the goodness of God? I believe that the only way that that's going to happen is if we get serious about intentionally investing in our formation by allowing God's transforming power to be at work in you and therefore in your relationships to the world around you. You see, you will not become the person that you long to be by mistake or by chance. It was going to require intentional investment, formation, and prayer in the right direction over a lifetime as the Spirit works in you. If you think about it um, physically for a moment, um, now as I got up here, I I know what you're thinking is that you you look at me and you think, gosh, John looks like he goes to the gym at least eight to ten times a week. Um, and just for the recording, there was like audible laughing at that point. Um, uh, and you'd be wrong uh, to think that. I, um, I actually haven't been to the gym since before COVID, but um, I-, I love everything there is to love about exercise and like having a good, healthy eating lifestyle, apart from I just don't really like exercise or eating particularly well. Uh, but... Because I'm now the wrong side of 25, like my body has presented me with some scenarios where I might need to actually start addressing that. And so even though I really don't want to at times, 
I do run a couple of times a week or go on a bike ride and try and be active to try and maintain some kind of health in my body. And it's the same when it comes to you for caring for your soul. Your whole self, your heart, your mind, your body, and your spirit, your soul. Investment is required if it's going to be healthy. Investment is required if you want to live a good life and to live it well. And that's why Emily spoke last week about uh, tables, our smaller, distinctive communities living in and out the way of Jesus, places of connection and belonging, environments to grow and to spur one another on, and friendships to, to encourage and have compassion with one another. And so if you are new or if you've been coming along for a little while and you're not in a table, please do give us a call. Come and see us at the end. We would love to help you get connected into those smaller spaces. Uh, But for today and the rest of our time together, I want to talk about an aspect of relational formation uh, that is, I would say, like an additional layer to that level of connection that you have at tables. Sociologist uh, Joseph Myers um, did this massive amount of research into, uh, kind of off the back of some of the initial research that we looked at, uh, showed that the healthiest and happiest lives were those who had strong and high commitments into what he called are the four spaces of belonging. And they take the same uh, format as the shape of Jesus' ministry and the way that he related to others. Again, 21st century research proving the wisdom of ancient literature in the Bible. The four spaces are this. First of all, that we need to find connection and commitment to a crowd like larger gatherings where you feel like an unidentifiable part of the whole, but the whole has like a life of its own, a momentum of itself. Think about a football stadium or a gig or uh, being on a march. And we see this in the life of Jesus. He spent his time, intentionally invested his time uh, at the temple where there were large crowds gathered, or the Sermon on the Mount, or the feeding of the 5,000, or even the sending of the 72. He spent time in larger gatherings. And so for us here at St. Mary's, that's things like Sundays and worship nights and occasionally focus and things like that. They require you, your commitment and your contribution to those environments so that you would become part of something bigger than just yourself. First space is a crowd. Next, uh, the second sphere of belonging is company. They're like smaller gatherings, usually gathered around a common interest or purpose, and it would often be referred to as like, this is your tribe, like a social group or a cycling club, hockey team, book club. Jesus spent majority of his ministry, as we know, investing in and spending time and sharing life together with 12 of his friends, the disciples. And so here at St. Mary's, that's why we encourage people into those discipling relationships uh, at a table or maybe even at Alpha for you to start. And then there's this like level below that, uh, which we've called core. 
They are small, intimate gatherings of two to four of uh, the closest people in your life that would know you intimately, know much of your past and most of your present, people who you can be truly vulnerable with and held by. And so as you read the life of Jesus in the Gospels, you notice that uh, there are these three disciples, Peter, James, and John, that seem to have like this uniquely special and close bond with Jesus. It was different to the way that he related to the others. You know, that Peter, James, and John were the only disciples to go in uh, to the room where Jairus' daughter was raised back from the dead. They were the only disciples present at the transfiguration, and they were the only disciples with Jesus in his hour of uh, need and vulnerability in the Garden of Gethsemane, that he seemed to have this like, closer bond with just a few. And then one the place of deepest intimacy where everything else fades away and you are truly yourself. There are no secrets in this place. You know, we see in the life of Jesus every day withdrew himself before the sunrise often where he withdrew to spend time in the presence of his father. You know, for some of us here at St. Mary's, this uh, will include your investment into your relationship with your spouse. But for all of us, for all of us, the primary place will be, in, will be connection with our Father in heaven. Devotion, prayer, time in his presence. And so as I said today, I want to look particularly today at this level of core where we've got crowd and company and we encourage everyone to invest into the one. What does it look like for us to have core relationships? You see, there are um, many things that can be shared and championed in a group setting like a table with like 10 to 12 plus others. And that is a vital part of your formation for belonging to a tribe, learning from different people with different life experiences and opinions and views on things. It's truly a unique thing, a precious thing to be able to gather like that. But then there are also some things that are not appropriate for your formation for that size of group. There are some things that, in the nitty gritty of our lives where we need an appropriate space of vulnerability and accountability to share in confidence and to be held in prayer, to be able to speak about the disordered nature and the mess of our lives be able to be open and honest, if we kind of get real for a second, about our disordered sexual desire, about our broken sense of comparison when we look to the left and right, about our self-compromise on our values and our integrity. You know, in, it's in bringing into the light some of those darker parts that we find harder to admit. It's only in bringing it into the light, in the company of others, can we start to really experience the healing of Jesus in his light. Uh, just personally speaking for a moment, having uh, two or three that are guys that I'm uh, gathering with on a regular basis is something that I've practiced now for 12 or more years in a couple of different settings, having moved a couple of times. You know, this kind of relationship, 
holding one another, encouraging, championing one another. This kind of relationship has had a transformational impact in my life. And I would say, if it weren't for these kinds of conversations and this kind of prayer, I would not be the kind of husband, the kind of father, the kind of friend, the kind of leader that I am today. And hey, I'm not fully formed, which is why I'm still committed to the ongoing process of transformation. So I asked a couple of people to share some of their experiences, those within our community who have done this kind of core relationship for a while now. And they said this, Kevin said, I've been in an accountability group with three other men for over 30 years. They are my closest friends because we've done life together transparently through the highs and lows, sharing and praying together. Most men don't even have one friend who they could share openly with. Therefore, I am deeply grateful for my group. It has been a huge blessing and joy in my life. Juliet said this, accountability is something I've committed to for the last 10 years with two girls I met at university. It's been a space for confession, for vulnerability and deep challenge. They know everything, good and bad, yet consistently love me. They have helped me decide the most pivotal parts of my life. I would be an entirely different person who looked a lot less like Jesus without it. Now, as I um, start to talk about this level of relationship, I know that some people are starting to count themselves out in this room. And for some of you, you're like new to church or you're new to this area, and understandably, you want to get a bit more connected in uh, before like this kind of thing could happen. And I'd say that is a great idea. And, and, and a table would be the kind of environment where you probably would meet people that you might want to take this kind of journey with. But for others in the room, you might be thinking something along the lines of this. I don't have friends like that. I struggle to be vulnerable and honest and real when it really comes down to it. What, what if I did do that and I was rejected for the things that I've done? Or, or maybe I just don't really have capacity or time for that kind of thing in my life at the moment. And you know, like they are totally understandable reasons. There are total understandable questions and concerns to count yourself out. And like this isn't a magic trick. This is not something that's going to like fix all of your problems. And it takes a lot of time and work and effort and energy. But I would say this, I have never met anyone that has intentionally invested in relationships like this that hasn't said anything other than what Kevin and Juliet said. It has been transforming. It has been life-changing. It is the thing that helps me grow and become more like Jesus. So what if today you decided to count yourself in? to model your life around the way of Jesus in pursuit of him alongside one or two others, to truly become the friend, the leader, the follower, the spouse, the parent, ultimately the human that you long to become. I'm also aware, just to pause for a moment, I'm also aware that just coming to church for some people 
is just such a big deal and big commitment. And I want to say well done for being in the room. Like you're, you're like drawn to the idea and the kind of the beauty of Jesus, but the kind of idea of being like in relationship with others and honest with others is like utterly terrifying. And so all I could say in this moment is just like Holy Spirit, come, heal pain, rewrite wrongs, make connections where they are needed. We get that it's hard, but there is also redemption and healing on offer today. So, what if we did do this? What if we did become the kind of community uh, where we would champion and spur each other on in that kind of company section, but then we would also hold each other deeply in that core? Well, let me share three qualities for this kind of core investment that brings to your life, and then we'll uh, respond in worship and prayer. Firstly, this. Core relationships are filled with compassion. Paul says to the Galatians, carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And I was once in a conversation with someone who uh, told me that my faith uh, was a crutch for people that needed it, like it was a crutch for people that were weak. Um, And my response was, that is exactly what faith is. That is exactly what faith is. Think about uh, what a crutch helps you to do. It gives you strength when you are weak. It helps you stand up and keeps you moving. It keeps you steady on uneven ground and it reminds you to not run before you've learnt how to walk again. You know, that, that is why Paul says in this little phrase, carry each other's burdens. It means like to hold one another. That word, um, uh, compassionate, means to co-suffer alongside. It's to share the struggles and the pain and the disappointments and the regrets as well as the breakthrough. You see, faith is a crutch because those who have faith have just recognized and acknowledged their brokenness and their need for it. One group in the world that I think does this incredibly well, this kind of uh, compassionate support for one another is Alcoholics Anonymous. I love the um, artist and writer Felix McCarr. He said this when he was asked, what is the secret to AA's power? And his beautiful response, its power is in, its, in, is in a shared humility from a broken journey and a reverence for what we do not know. A shared humility and a reverence for what we do not know. You see, in the recognition of weakness, it's humility that allows us in core environments to break past the facade of our pride and some of our fear. It's to walk beside those on the same pilgrimage of becoming more like Jesus and carry each other well. Sometimes you'll be doing the holding and sometimes you'll be held. Environments of compassion. Secondly, this environments, uh, core relationships are environments for confession. James 5.16 says this, Therefore confess your sin to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. 
I love this quote from um, Ruth Haley Barton, a fantastic uh, writer. She says this, one thing that we can know for sure is that when we are confessing our sin to God, but not to the people around us in ordinary nitty gritty life, there is not much real spiritual transformation going on. I think that that is true, but it's true partly because I think we've lost an understanding of what confession actually is and for. I think we've lost the view that confession is one of the greatest kindnesses that God could ever show us. You see, the the issue with sin that you and I uh, struggle with every day, the issue with sin is not that God has this very strict moral code and set of principles and he demands you to live by them as if he's like a school teacher hovering over your desk and he's watching you, making sure you color everything in, in between the lines. The issue with sin is that sin being taking things into our own hands and orientating our lives around ourselves is that it inhibits us from doing the very thing that we were created to do best, which is to love and to love well. You see, if sin orientates us inwardly, it makes it almost impossible for us to love generously and that is what you were created to do. You know, you and I, we have regular moments where, metaphorically speaking, we're standing in the kitchen holding scissors and there are some helium balloons floating off behind us. You know, like, we act out of our selfishness. We are easily offended and then even quicker to judge. We allow anger to dominate our emotions. We are envious of what others do or have or both. You know, we are filled with lust. We overindulge. We overspend. And what we need is a clean slate. We need forgiveness, not just because we've colored outside the lines, but more that we've marred the image of God within us. We've broken the thing that we were created and most truly made to do is be children of God. That's why Jesus came and redeemed you and me on the cross for those who accept his good news, not just to kind of be like, oh, don't do that again. It's to redeem you and make you who you truly are as a child of God. This is who you are. You are saved, you're free, you're forgiven, you're good, you're pure, you're holy. It is pure gift to be able to say, I am broken, but Lord, you bring me healing. That is why confession is an invitation to return to intimacy with God. And so thinking about that, not just for us, but in our relationships when it comes to uh, confession, Ruth A. Barton suggests that confession has got to go a bit further and deeper than just your private prayer by yourself. It's a good place to start, but it's not where the most transformation happens. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his beautiful little book called Life Together explains one of the main ways sin takes us away from who we truly are, primarily by isolating us from others. He says this, sin demands to have someone by themselves. It withdraws them from the community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over them. And the more deeply they will uh, become involved in it and the more disastrous their isolation. 
Like, hey, I, I've been in church ministry now for 15 years. This is true. It, where, where we start to act out of shame, where we're filled with guilt, where we don't bring ourselves honestly and truly and rawly to God, when we start to try and deal with things by ourselves and we start to distance ourselves, that is where the real destruction and disaster happens. But when the confession of sin is made in the presence of others, the stronghold of self-justification is broken. And in the process of acknowledging your need for grace, you find the forgiveness of Jesus in the face of a friend who so often says, man, me too. Oh, I feel that one. Oh man, I've been there myself. You know, it's such a kindness to be able to be real with others. Bonhoeffer continues, if a Christian is in the fellowship of confession with a brother or sister, they will never be alone again anywhere. You see, there are some things that require a a level of courage and vulnerability that if done, lead to the greatest freedoms. As the line in James states, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. And so in the process of doing that, you find healing, that you may be healed, restored, be reminded of your true identity. Lastly, core relationships are an environment for contending. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me, Colossians 1. So if if confession is about a return to intimacy, I'd say contending is about the activity that flows from that intimacy. As you are drawn in by God, you get caught up in the concerns and thoughts and longings of God and your desires, they start to shift. They start to shift to more be in line with God and his good kingdom come for your life, for your friend's life and for the world around you. You are moved into participation with him. When it comes to contending, I think it's like that, it's like that kind of that desire to fight for or, or to, uh, to, to shout or even or to just kind of work so hard that that work can also be translated as to toil, to like work hard over a long time. To do something like that, it's got to be like in you. Like, do you ever get that gut feeling about something? Like, you see something and you think to yourself, it just isn't right. Or you look at the world and you think there must be a better way or you have a creative and dynamic vision of something that could be, that isn't, it's art, it's caring for others, purposeful business storytelling. It's where your God-infused gut feelings and the energizing life force of the spirit collide. That's where the kingdom of God advances. Where your refusal to give up your refusal to accept things as they are, and the Spirit of God coming together, that's where he is most at work. To contend is just to simply refuse to live a life of indifference. And so to be in a core relationship is to hold each other account 
in those things, refusing to let each other let dreams or passion grow cold, to refuse to let each other become cynical and critical about everything, but spur each other on to pursue those kingdom advances in Jesus' name. Relationships of compassion, of confession, and contending. You and I are made for relationship. You're made for real, authentic, honest, joy-filled, and life-giving relationship. You have first been loved by Jesus. He has joyfully given up his life for you so that you can truly find yours. And in this new life, Jesus gives you this charge. Together, go, become my people of love. And by this, you will be known all around the world for the way that you profoundly love each other, the way that you profoundly hold each other well. You'll be known for the life-giving walk of honesty and integrity that you bring. And there'll be a freedom and a beauty in the purposes that God has for you. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. In Jesus' name, amen.